Do you have some doubts about your salvation? Let's see if we can put those to rest today on Abounding Grace. Sometimes we'll even doubt our own salvation. And I think that the thing about doubting is it's not like we want to live that way. It's not like we like it. (laughs) But it is a part of the human condition. The, the truth about doubt is, number one, it's not like we always, that, like we really want to, but, but a greater truth about doubt is that you really don't need to. We don't really need to choose to live by a lack of faith or doubt or just always living in that realm. I'm not sure and I'm not. Like we can take the insurities and just lay them before the Lord. Like the Bible says, you know, we can cast our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. Faith is what brought you into his family, and faith will keep you to the end. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my prayers. That you would bear my cross. You It's time once again for Abounding Grace. Glad you could make it as we continue a study of 1 Peter with Pastor Ed Taylor. When we suffer, and we all do, questions and doubts often creep into our minds, like we may wonder if we're even saved. The verse we bring before you now will bring much needed perspective for seasons of suffering and hopefully extinguish some of those doubts too. You'll find it in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 18. Take your Bibles, open them, would you, to two places, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 3, in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Glorious Vicarious Atonement. The Glorious Vicarious Atonement. Now remember the theme of Peter's first letter is strength through suffering. We have a group of believers that are facing the hardest, most difficult trial that they've ever faced in their life. And it wasn't just one or two here. It was the entirety of church, of the church at the time under the Roman government. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter writes to Christians to encourage them and to remind them of the faithfulness of God. To acknowledge that, yes, things are hard. Of course they are. But the Lord is faithful and he'll strengthen you. And for the believers in the first century, I mean, this was not just inconvenience. This wasn't just a life of inconvenience. They, they weren't just experiencing a few things that they lost this or they, no, they were living with the threat of losing their lives. They had everything lost. They, they, were, they lost their livelihood, their homes, they're on the run, being blamed for the destruction of Rome, and they had nothing to do with it. And I think they're not unlike our brothers and sisters today in Sudan or in China or Indonesia. Paying the price for being a Christian, sometimes uh, to the point of death. And that is part of persecution. Losing our lives for the sake of the gospel. And I, I think it's worth reminding that perspective is everything. Our perspective of the situations in our lives is everything. If we have the right perspective, that helps us along the journey. But if we have the wrong perspective, it hurts us and makes things worse. We have to ask ourselves, how do we currently see this? What angle are we taking? If we view suffering only in light of ourselves and how it affects us, it can be overwhelming. It can be oppressive. It can be lonely. But if we view our suffering in light of the 
suffering that is shared with the church at large, if we can view our suffering in light of the purposes and plans of God, if we can view our, our suffering in light of eternity and our newfound relationship with Jesus, then we can grow through it and we can mature through it and our lives can be an encouragement to others as we persevere and endure. Even today, and you don't have to turn there with me, but in Hebrews chapter 10, I was reminded of this verse, and it's so important. Uh, it's such a, a valuable encouragement to us where we're reminded, I think it might have been Hebrews chapter 12, um, but it's somewhere in the Bible where it says that you have need of endurance. And isn't that true? You have need of endurance so that when you do the will of God, you'll have something to be blessed. You'll be blessed. And then somebody find it for me real quick. Is it 10 what? 36? Therefore do not cast your confidence, which is great reward. Verse 36, chapter 10, thank you. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And here's the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. And now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And look what he says in verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition but those who believe to the saving of the soul. And it's interesting that God would put us in two different books, written to two different groups at two different times in, in church history of suffering Christians. And we would be reminded week after week after week, study after study, devo after devo, of the need to abide in Christ and draw our strength and resources from his abundant resources. Because the Bible is filled with real life, down-to-earth men and women who suffered greatly for their faith. Greatly. I asked you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice with me in verse 7. We just consider a few things that Paul would let us into the inside of his life of what he went through for the gospel. Exactly what was predicted in Acts chapter 9 when Jesus revealed to him, I'm going to tell him a lot of things. He's going to suffer for my namesake. Suffering is part of the package. Anyone that desires to live a godly life will suffer. Notice what he goes through. He says in verse 7, but we have this treasure. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. We are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live, notice verse 11, are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. But since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And then he summarizes it in verse 16. Therefore, because our suffering matters, because we go through it together, because it's not wasted, because we've got to the edge so many times and God showed up. We got to the edge so many times and God delivered us because we're still standing, because I'm still writing, because I'm still serving, because of the enduring power, all that, because therefore we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man's being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, 
which is but for a moment, is working for us. And so many of you have this marked in your Bible already. If you don't, mark it. Suffering works for us, not against us. It works to develop us. Suffering is not intended. Trials are not intended to destroy you. Trials are intended to destroy your flesh and draw you into a deeper relationship. So he says, look, this is working for us. We're becoming better. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, because we, now here's the perspective. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I taught through this one not too long ago. Uh, I would encourage you, if this is your life right now, go to the app, go to the website. You guys already online, you know how to find it. Listening on the radio right now and go through these verses, these this truths, those Bible studies on the app. I know it'll encourage you. God wants you to have the right perspective. Let me also encourage you, pick up a copy of the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's in the public domain now, so there's free PDFs everywhere. Pick up a PDF of Fox's Book of Martyrs and listen to what happened and read about what happened to the first century believers. That's a book that kind of picks up in the first century of the believers including some traditional accounts of how the disciples, how the apostles died and were killed for the martyred for their faith. I also want to recommend to you, uh, there are a couple of books, I don't know if they're in print anymore, but I'm sure you can get them used. Jesus Freaks 1 and 2. Jesus Freaks 1 and 2. There's two different volumes of that. And those are more modern day stories of martyrs and those that have lost their lives for the faith. It'll put your life in perspective. And then I also want to recommend to you two books by a man by the name of Tom Doyle. One is called Killing Christians, and another is entitled Standing in the Fire. And I mean, it'll give you perspective. It'll show you the reality of what our brothers and sisters are going through throughout the world. It might stir your faith. It might well up in you that courage and endurance that's needed because the right perspective will help you even in your current trial. Well, with all that in mind, come with us now to 1 Peter because this one verse, we're going to pause on this one verse and then we'll pick up and cover some more next time. But this one verse is one we just can't skip over. We need to allow it to say what it says because it gives us the greatest perspective on our own suffering. So pick up with me in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The supreme example of suffering, Peter says, to a suffering group of Christians is Jesus. His suffering eclipses all of our sufferings combined. And without the suffering of Jesus, we wouldn't have any. But because he suffered, we suffer as his followers. So we deal with the things in the world because of sin. You know, we suffer because of our sin. We suffer because of the sins of others. But there's an added layer of suffering that comes to you and me because of our allegiance to Jesus. We suffer because of our commitment to Jesus. There is greater suffering. Jesus said it would be so. In John chapter 16, verse 33, let me read it to you from the New Living says, I've told you, Jesus says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You may have memorized it in this world you have 
you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You'll have many trials and sorrows. You will have many trials and sorrows, Jesus told us. In, in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, also let me read it to you from the New Living. It says, they strengthen the brethren, they encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, the pathway of, that leads to life includes suffering. It's not a surprise to us. Even in Peter, if you want to turn a page to chapter 5, verse 9, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Resist him, speaking of the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But when we come to verse 18, Peter's sharing much more with us than just the temporary sufferings we experience He's speaking not only of Jesus being beaten, uh, Jesus being killed in the flesh, but this is a significant spiritual truth for your life and mine. In verse 18, the fisherman Peter is giving, taking us to the highlands of theology. And he's teaching us that Jesus' suffering had a spiritual significance. The first thing I want you to notice is, is in verse 18 there in the beginning, it says, for Christ also suffered. You want to mark the word once. He suffered once, just one time. The suffering is singular when it comes to the issue of your sin and mine. Remember, as we learned just this weekend, we were reminded that on the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. He didn't say he was finished. He said it is finished. And then we looked at that. Well, what was finished? Well, the work of redemption was finished. The price, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that work is completed and finished. He suffered once. And it's so important because this is one of the clearest, most wonderful verses on the cross of Jesus Christ in all the Bible. He suffered once. Notice the next word, for one time for sins. And then notice, who is the recipient? The unjust. Jesus, the just, suffering once for sins of the unjust. The just in exchange for the unjust. And the purpose that he might bring us to God. It says he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is never to be repeated ever again. Never. It will never be repeated, neither does it need to be repeated, because it is finished. It's so powerful, and it's wonderful. The reason why it's important to emphasize the word once is because many of you either came out of the Roman Catholic Church or still are connected in some way by family or friends to Roman Catholicism, and this one verse in all the Bible, this one verse that is packed with so much truth, undermines the false teachings that say Jesus is to continually be sacrificed through the mass service on Sunday. That the mass, and some of you may already know this, but the mass is a re-crucifying of Jesus at the hands of the priest for the sins of the people. The Bible says no. The Bible says no. Jesus died how many times, church? Once. One time. He's never to die again. He died once for sins, the just for the unjust. It's over. It's finished. Your salvation is secure. When, when we celebrate communion together, 
We celebrate communion looking back on a completed, finished work. When we take of the elements together, as significant and as mysterious as they are, as we come together in unity as a church and we come together in unity with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, communion is symbolic as we look back on the finished work. It is not a breaking again of the bread so that mysteriously it becomes the body in your mouth. No, it is simply a wafer or a piece of bread because it points back to the bread, remember, that Jesus broke and gave, which also was symbolic. They literally ate the bread that he gave them, which was symbolic of what? The crucifixion that was to come, his broken body. So even the bread that was in Jesus' hands was symbolic. When he says, take, eat, this is my body, it didn't grow on his body, it was still bread. And he broke the bread and he passed the bread and it was still bread. Same with the cup. The cup did not become the blood of Jesus Christ when he handed the cup to those at the seating, reclining with him at the Passover meal. It was still wine in his hand and it was still wine when it was passed along. It did not become blood. It hadn't been shed yet. So even in the hands of Jesus, the elements were symbolic. And so when we look back upon them, the bread speaks of the broken body of Jesus that died once for sins. The cup speaks of Jesus' blood spilled once for us. We look back and enjoy the blessing of knowing that we are saved. Not that we hope to be saved. Not that we hope one day we'll make it. Not that one day we hope we will not wait in a waiting period in purgatory to find out if we'll make it out of there. The work of Jesus Christ is finished. And the reason I emphasize it on this particular verse is not to bring any offense to our friends that may be in Roman Catholicism, but rather knowing this will go out on the radio all over the country, knowing people are listening right now, I'm just asking you to put down your religious teachings and let the Bible give you freedom in Christ. Let God, let God free you from empty religion. Let God free you with the truth. You don't have to live in fear or under the weight of guilt your whole life. Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. And if you repent of your sins today, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can know that you know that you know you are saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, not because you deserve it, right? You know what you deserve. I know what I deserve. So we don't want to pass over a simple verse like this. And I would encourage you, search the scriptures. Prove me wrong from the Bible. But I know that that's not possible because we're just simply reading one verse out of the Bible. It's what it says right here. You don't have to wait till you face God to know that you're saved. <laughs> you can know that today. Isn't that a tragic way to live your life? I don't think so. I don't know. I'm not sure. Did I do enough? You, you live your whole life. And, and that, what, what that's called is a works-based relationship with God. And it places the emphasis of your salvation on your works. God never intended that. What works could we possibly offer to God that would merit the forgiveness of our sins? All of our works, the Bible speaks, are like filthy rags. They don't measure up to anything, to the holy and righteous standard of God. So we're not saved by our works. We're saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. The finished work. A constant enemy of your assurance is doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief keep a believer wandering, wondering, and weak. 
Doubting literally is, is, doubting is defined as this, being uncertain, unsure, distrustful, and disbelieving. And or it can also mean lacking conviction. So I just want to take that word distrustful for a second. There are relationships we have in the world that involves a distrust, you know, with another person. Maybe we've been hurt, we've been burned. But when you doubt God, it's easier to say I doubt God because that's an easier word to live. But when you doubt the promises of God, when I doubt God himself, I don't trust him. I'm not living in faith and trusting God. And I don't know how many of us would be willing to say, yeah, I'm just living in a time right now where I don't trust God. I don't really believe his promises. Rather than choosing to trust him in the moment, moment by moment. Sometimes we'll even doubt our own salvation. And I think that the thing about doubting is it's not like we want to live that way. It's not like we like it. (laughs) But it is a part of the human condition. The, the truth about doubt is, number one, it's not like we always, that, like we really want to, but, but a greater truth about doubt is that you really don't need to. We don't really need to choose to live by, by, by a lack of faith or doubt or just always living in that realm. I'm not sure and I'm not. Like we can take the insurities and just lay them before the Lord. Like the Bible says, you know, we can cast our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. Faith is what brought you into his family and faith will keep you to the end. <laughs> And he, we learned earlier in chapter one that we are kept by the power of God. It's sad. It's sad to me as a pastor and also as a fellow believer. It grieves me because I know many churches, they live and teach in such a legalistic way that they keep people doubting their whole life whether they're saved. And they just don't really want to give and allow the Holy Spirit to give that assurance. So they, they put guilt trips and they teach things where if you didn't do it this and, and then you like, well, did I do it? You go, well, you did it, but you didn't do it right. Well, who determines who does it right? We determine. And then your whole relationship then is in relationship to leaders, to pastors, to teachings of churches and even so-called churches. In order to control their congregation, the pastor is trained how to keep people guessing and depending on man. But Jesus desires and commands that our trust be in him alone. Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're going and growing through a study of 1 Peter right now. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Pastor Ed, as you were talking about salvation and what it takes to get to heaven today, I'm reminded of our featured resource. It's the case for heaven. What can you tell us about it? We've really enjoyed making Lee Strobel's books available as our picks of the month here at Calvary. We choose a book every month to put into the hands of our church family and those connected to us by radio and abounding grace. You guys, you guys get the same uh, pick that our church gets. We all do it together. And this new book by Lee Strobel is so good, answering questions about the afterlife, what will heaven be like? How will we spend our time there? What does it mean to see God face to face? He's got—he's that investigator, right? Everything he does, case for faith, uh, case for Christ. Uh, around Christmas time, we always make available case for Christmas, and he has a a phenomenal technique of garnering information and then writing it down in an understandable way. 
Uh, if you've ever had any questions about heaven, this is a great compliment to another book we recommend, Heaven by Randy Alcorn. These two will be very helpful for you. And one of the reasons a book like this is attractive to me is that I have my son is in heaven. My parents are in heaven. I'm very interested in heaven. Um, people that I love, uh, my, my savior uh, is in heaven. So many people have gone before us. We just had a loss here in the church. Sweet, sweet, faithful sister gone home to be with the Lord. And heaven is uh, real. It's, uh, people reside in heaven right now. And I'd encourage you to pick up this resource. Uh, whether you get it here or wherever you get your books, doesn't matter. Um, just get it into your hands. Read it and grow in God's grace. Request The Case for Heaven by Lee Strobel when you give a gift of $25 or more today to Abounding Grace. Call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Well, next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 1 Peter. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.